All right, so on this episode of the podcast, I am interviewing Saginaw Spirit head coach Chris Lazari. And Chris Lazari, he's he's a pretty good coach. He's been coaching the Spirit for about four years now, head coaching for two. And so let's get right into it here. So how you doing? How you been keeping up? Yeah, I'm great. You know what? Obviously, uh, trying to stay healthy. I got a young family, so we're just, you know, trying to be precautious and do the right thing. But we're enjoying the family time uh, if we can't do the hockey. And coaches get salary in the OHL. And have you had to deal with any pay cuts around the organization? Is that a big problem that's been going around? Uh, you know what? For myself personally, I haven't. I've been very fortunate. I'm on a contract, and our owner has decided that he's not going to cut my pay. Um, you know, so I'm very blessed and lucky that way. Uh, like all organizations, I'm not sure the depths of what's happened with our budget. I know there has been some people furloughed on the business side of things, but uh, you know, those are things that uh, are above my pay grade. All right. And as a kid, did you ever think that you'd be a head coach? That's my first question for you. Yeah, never. I never, as a kid, like I, I didn't start playing hockey until I was 13. So when I was younger, I was a really good baseball player. And that's, I always thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. And obviously now I'm a coach. So. <laughs> and as a kid, did you grow up a lot around hockey or did it just kind of come out of nowhere? It's been around my life forever. I know my old man played at St. Mike's and has been a massive Leafs fan. And, you know, I used to go watch the AAA games of my age, even when I wasn't playing hockey all the time. And um, a, a buddy of mine, who's now my best friend, Blaine Down, moved on, uh, moved on my street. And he was one of the best AAA players for our our age, our team, and I used to go watch a lot of his games, and I kind of got into hockey that way. All right, and how old were you when you first started coaching? Like, did you like coach your kids maybe first, and then moved on from there? Well, I'm 38 now. I started coaching when I was 21, so I finished junior at 20. I went to university for one year, and I dropped out of university to become a hockey coach. All right, and as a kid, did you have a favorite team growing up in the NHL? The Toronto Maple Leafs, die hard, live and die. To this day, I know they. people always say when you work in hockey, you shouldn't cheer for other teams because you work in hockey now. But, you know, to me, I don't care about that. I love the Leafs. We'll always cheer for the Leafs. Big-time Leaf fan. All right. And do you have any siblings who also play hockey, or are you the only sibling that plays hockey – or coaches hockey, sorry? No, I'm the only one. I have a big family. I have a lot of brothers and sisters, but none of them are involved in sports. All right. And – have you coached any current NHL players? Whew, yeah, I have. I've been I've been so fortunate, especially during my time in the OHL, to coach a lot of players in the NHL. So um, even through my minor hockey days when I was with the Toronto Marlboros, like some of the guys off the top of my head are Connor Brown from Ottawa, Scott Lawton from Philly, Adam Pellick, had Travis Konechny, Jacob Chikrin, Jordan Cairo, um, a ton. I'm trying to think. Pavel Zaka. Been really lucky to have, uh, and I know I'm missing them. So any guys that, that hear this that have, have their name left out, it's it's just on the spot. But yes, I have uh, been very lucky to coach some NHL players. And you've also coached an, coached an NHL Stanley Cup champion. That's pretty cool. Not many people get to say that. Yeah, it is. It's you know what it, I think one of the coolest things and maybe the greatest joys in coaching. And whether they become players, they go on and become policemen, doctors, firemen, husbands whatever it is fathers like it's it's just neat to watch kids that you get kind of in their teenage years their impressionable years grow on to be young men and have successful lives in different communities and some become coaches and it's cool like I think that's the thing I like most about it is to watch what these guys do with their lives all right and what do you love most about coaching I would say you know what I love the like it's obviously it's a competitive job i like game days you're you're in it if you're on the bench it's the next next best thing to playing um i love the preparation part but really for me it's it's relationships with people it's getting to be around these these guys every day and and uh obviously they're elite players but they're still human beings and to be able to connect with them and have an impact on their lives and and uh you know there's some exciting moments in hockey during a season some highs and some very lows and to be able to go through that as a group and and grow and develop relationships through those experiences are my favorite parts of it all right and i know you might not have a least favorite thing but is there anything you sort of don't love about coaching uh you know what losing 
I have a very tough time dealing with losses and um, you're human, obviously. And, and you got, I have a wife and, and a young family, a, a daughter, three and another one, one and bringing losses home. is It's tough. Like I don't sleep after a loss a lot. And um, you know, that, that's the tough part. Like you put so much into it. You want to win. You want to have success. And when you lose, it's like a reminder that you're a failure for that, for that game. So that's the thing for me, I've got to work on as a coach, but I don't deal with losing too well. All right. And hey, that's not a bad thing, though. You want to win. If you have that drive to win, I'd never say that's a bad thing. No, I agree. I agree with you. It's it's uh, a paint a picture, right? Like you have 68 games in an OHL schedule. You're bound to lose a few. And when you lose a game, you feel like the world's coming to an end. And when you win a game, you feel like you're on top of the world. It's such a swing. And it's hard to explain unless you're really in it. But it's uh, it's one of those things you, you love about the job, too, because you get it's such a, a different way of living life. All right. And with the second off spirit, you've had, you've had a couple wins under your belt these last couple of years. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Luckily right now we've, you know what, I got a great general manager and Dave Drinkle and assistant GM and Brian Prout Our scouting staff's phenomenal. They keep throwing unbelievable players and drafting unbelievable players into our organization. I'm just lucky that uh, every single year we get a loaded group of guys to work with and we've been able to have some success. All right, and is there any player that you've just connected with so well that you'd say it's a favorite player you've coached? Uh, you know, one of my all-time favorites is, and a lot of them, like I've been lucky, I think one of my strengths is my ability to connect with my players. But one of the players, like a guy like a Connor Brown or Scott Lawton or guys like that that I had in Bantam and Minor Midget that – um, I was a lot younger when I was coaching them. I think those guys, they ended up coming to my wedding. There was Matt Finn, Scott Kosmachuk, Patty McCarron, Dylan Corson. Like there was a group of guys off that team that ended up coming to my wedding that are now lifelong friends. So that group, really that age group is one of the you know most connected I've ever had. All right. Yeah. And when you're the younger coach, you're kind of like you're closer to the players age than like the other coaches. So you kind of build that bond. I get that because as a player, I've always had, I've always had older coaches, and this one year I had an, a younger coach, and I connected with him very well, and it was just great. So it's a very good thing to have a young coach on your team. Yeah, it is. I think that's you know one of my younger years of coaching. I'm still relatively young, but my in my twenties, early twenties, mid twenties, such a different uh, experience coaching at that age than it is now. But um, yeah, I mean that's been one of the cooler things is just again, being able to have those relationships with people that last a lifetime. All right. And in your coaching career, you went on from coaching AAA all the way up to OHL. So can we take it back to AAA? And like, did you ever think you'd actually make it past AAA as a coach? Well, I saw what I started in, in uh, my very first year. So I dropped out of university. I coached in junior B in Guelph. And I can remember uh, it was one of those sleep on a floor type stories where I literally slept on a floor for that season in Guelph at 21 years old. I didn't have any family in that town. I was working temp jobs. And I used to laugh looking back now that during that first year, I thought, you know what, like five years from now, five years, I'm going to coach in the OHL. And it took me a lot longer to get there. But um, I think when I left school, I was at a pretty good program and in business. And I I left McMaster University. My goal was to become not an NHL co- uh, head coach, but an OHL head coach. I just wanted to be an OHL head coach. That was always the goal. So I knew when I left school that there was no way I was not going to achieve that. I was I was going to do everything I possibly could to make my dream come true. And it did come true. And the hard work finally paid off. It did. I got, I'm, I'm very lucky. Like, I'm one of the fortunate people that can probably say when I go to work, like I don't really go to work on it. My job isn't really a job. Like I, there's not a day that I get out of bed where I'm like, Oh man, I got to go to hockey. I got to go to the rink. It's you almost like wake up extra early cause you can't wait to get into the rink. So I'm very lucky that way. Cause I don't feel like I work. I just feel like I get to coach hockey and, and basically coach a game. If you're doing what, what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So true. It is so true that, I had a taste of that, and I can definitely confirm that's a true statement. And so you're from York, and you coached at York University. That that I think that's pretty cool. And can you take us through what it was like that year at York University? Yeah, it was a huge eye opener. That level of hockey, like I don't know if you're familiar with the Canadian University hockey, but it's unbelievable. It's a lot of we had guys from the American League and East Coast, and 
a lot of Canadian Hockey League players that were um, playing at that level and and uh, really learned a lot about working with pro players because a lot of guys were coming from pro and and major junior and and uh, more like men kind of dealing with men and it's a little bit different dealing with older people than it has been in my experience to that point with junior younger kids so it really taught me the value of being prepared being able to present to a group of men because you can't bullshit these guys like they know when you're not telling the truth or if you're not prepared so really taught me a lot about that side of coaching yeah because it's a lot different than coaching younger kids where they'll believe anything you say like you got to be serious here and my question for you is how long did you usually take to prepare for a game do you usually take as a coach yeah, I'm relentless. Like, uh, I'm one of the guys that's in the rink at 5.30 in the morning and, like, I'm there all day, never shut it off. Like, preparation for me, it never ends because if I'm not pre-scouting or breaking down our game or looking at individual clips, I'm studying NHL. Like, what are NHL teams doing? What is there anything we can grab from those teams and add to us? I watch a lot of the KHL, the Swedish Elite League, anywhere, American League, our league. Like, I, to me, if you're want to be successful you've got to have a huge passion for the game and it just never turns off you're even this summer like you're just scratching for ways to get better and to find things to make your team better so to me it's like a lifestyle you're always preparing in a sense because the season's over you start preparing for the next or if you're in a season you're preparing for that game and it just never ends it's it's just you have to find ways every day when you get out of bed to make your team better, to make your players better. And it's a relentless pursuit when you do that. And have you followed a lot of advanced stats or are you more of a video clip kind of guy, just the old classic points, or do you follow advanced stats? I love the advanced stats. I, you know what, I love the video, but I love coupling with advanced stats. I think you can learn a lot. I don't think you have to make your decision solely on advanced stats, but I do believe you should include them when you're making decisions and, they tell a story like the video tells a story, the advanced stats, they tell a story. If you can combine the two, you usually get a good idea what's going on with your hockey team or an individual player. So having numbers and a lot of people don't like numbers. They say they don't like numbers because they don't understand the numbers or it, they just don't want to take the time to read about advanced stats and what they mean. So to them, it's just like, wow, well, it, it means nothing. But if you really invest your time into coaching, it's never going away. It's only going to continue to be a part of it you have to try to find ways to educate yourself about analytics so you can use them to your advantage all right and you said you watch a lot of the khl shl games and do you do you take a lot it's a different style of game where it's the wide it's kind of east west hockey instead of north south hockey and do you try and translate that a little bit into your coaching style yeah i know for sure like i yes they're on a bigger ice so you take those concepts put them on our ice obviously there's a few adjustments but I, my philosophy I'm not a dump and chase coach I am a possession I am a turn back if you've got nothing off the rush type coach or hold on to pucks and wait for better shots don't just throw everything at the net so for me there's I learn a lot off those those styles because it is more European I guess if you want to kind of give it a name so I pull a lot of well it's interesting because like I, again watching like a team like Dynamo or um you know, whoever over there, like there, there's so many things you can pull from their game that get your brain going and, and kind of bring you down a rabbit hole where you start thinking of these cool ideas of how can you make that what they're doing and even make it better. So it really, what it does is just get you, it's like fires up your brain and makes you start thinking. So when you do drills, I'm guessing you do a lot more, do you do more positional drills or do you do a lot of uh, game type scenario? Yeah, we are not a big in Saginaw. We don't do a lot of like structure drills. We do have our structure drills throughout the week, but a lot of our teaching in terms of five on five, like system play is through video and doing a lot of small, short meetings going through our system. What we like to do is take all the little pieces. So if we want to be a possession team, we'll kind of break down what skills did players need to be a possession player and we'll work on those skills. And then we'll isolate the little concepts of possession, like little things that happen on possession entries. We'll isolate those in the drill. So we try to build the player up from a skill perspective, isolate them into a drill so they can use those skills with pressure, and then it fits into the whole scheme of things. So we are not a big system team as we are like a skills and principles team. So have you ever had a player who's just been – he hasn't uh, – how do I say this? 
he hasn't conformed with your kind of style and you just have to trade him. Has that ever happened? You don't have to name any names, but has that ever happened? No, because I like to me, we're very good, I guess, as a coaching staff with communication and, and working with players. And you know what? The one thing I have experienced through us is like when you're telling a player to make plays and we want to be a possession team, like their eyes light up because it's something they haven't really heard a ton in their career. They've heard the other thing, like lay pucks in, get pucks deep, let's forecheck. So a lot of guys come to us and they're, they're so excited to try to play in our system because it's based on puck possession. So um, yeah, we've traded players away, but they've never been traded because they don't conform to our style. They've been traded because they're really good young hockey players that are going to bring us older players back for a playoff push. So um, we've been really fortunate that the players we've had have, have all kind of, you know, been good kids that, want to play the way we want to play yeah because a, a, a league like the ohl is very interesting because you look at a player you're like oh this guy might be in the nhl next year or this season he might get called up mid-season have you ever had that scenario where you're like okay we probably should try and get something before this guy before he just leaves our organization yeah we have you know what I, and before i was in saginaw we had it in sarnia with travis connecting and jacob chikrin and we're going to go through it this summer like we have uh ryan suzuki who's the first round pick of carolina we have Cole Perfetti, who is going to be a first-round pick. We've, you know, we've got players of that caliber where you don't know if they're coming back or not, you know. And and you know, do you try to trade those guys and gamble their back? Like we want guys to be Saginaw spirits for their career. We we always, you know, we haven't really had to necessarily make that decision. We've talked about it as an organization, but at the end of the day, they're still kids, and and you're better off, in my opinion keeping those players and if you lose them to the NHL then you've done your job and it's great for your organization and if you get them back continue to develop them and maybe at some point during the year you might move them but I don't think in the off season like it for us as an organization we try to stay away from that because we just feel like they they've done so much for organization a player of that caliber we don't want to just move them and treat them like an asset as we do as a human being all right I love to hear that because most play coaches, I feel like, would say, you know what, if this guy's going to leave us in the NHL next season, you know what, we better get something for nothing, especially if it's like a rebuilding team. I feel like that could happen. Yeah, and like, again, if it was mid-season, so in the summer we wouldn't think like that. If we had him back during a season, like, yes, we would move guys, date trade deadline time. But that being said, we would also work with the player and, and ask what they think and what they want and – uh, we just believe in in the human side of it in Saginaw. I know Dave Drinkle does, and I know myself and our owners. Like, they're still kids at the end of the day. So, you know, we had a player like Cole Perfetti, for an example, and we weren't going to win this year, and he was back, and we didn't think we were getting him at 19. We would have a meeting with Cole and and go through the scenarios. But um, again, we just feel like we've done such a good job here, always being a team that's in the mix that we just hopefully don't ever have to really do that. All right, and. Have you ever had to have a conversation with an NHL coach? Like you call the coach or the GM and like, are you going to move this guy or does that not really happen generally? No, I, that, that's really not my department. Like I, I leave, you know, again, our GM Dave Drinkle handles all that. Like he's got great relationships and he's the guy at the end of the day building the team. Like, yes, we work together and we have a lot of input. And we have a great relationship, but you know, he's done a great job and he makes those decisions. So he is more connected in, in that type of, you know, way than I am. My, my job is just to keep trying to develop players and win games. So he, uh, but he'll always let me know, but he, he does a good job kind of having the pulse of what's going on with those players. It seems like you and Dave Drinkle have a very good connection and that's very good for an organization because of a head coach and a GM are always butting heads. I feel like that never works. So that's very good to hear. Yeah. You know, he, he uh, we're the same age. He's become one of my best friends and I didn't know him four years ago when I came to Saginaw, like he hired me, but I didn't know who Dave Drinkle really was. And, over the years, we've become pretty tight, and obviously having a couple, you know, that deep playoff run, like, has really formed a bond. And, again, we just believe in doing everything together. Like, I share all my coaching decisions with him. He shares his general manager decisions, and together we try to make, you know, good decisions as we move forward. Yeah, and, like, next year you got Cole Perfetti. Like, I, I love Cole Perfetti. I've done a lot of research on him, but I don't think he'll be in the NHL next season. So if you have him and Ryan Suzuki back, you guys can definitely make a push for OHL Finals Memorial Cup, and that'd be great for his career. Because it seems like you as a, you guys as a team are very connected and fit well, so I feel like that's definitely bound for success. 
Yeah, we're going to have a shot this year. Granted, we get everybody back. If we do, you know, we'll have a chance to be one of those teams. But our league is so, so, so hard to win, and it's so good that we'll have our work cut out for us. But like you said, we have some of the elite pieces in the league, and you need that. Our league, when you have those elite players and the Mason Millmans and the Tristan Lennoxes and Mitchell Smiths and, you know, we got Ryan Beck and Alvin Grew and and um, Pavel I can't say his last name yet, but he's a Russian kid, Mintinov, or like we have so, a T-Bone Cod, Josh Bloom. Like you can go through the list, Dalton Duhart, Cam Baber, like our team will be stacked and we'll have an opportunity. But, you know, the best thing is, is we got good people that our, our group wants it. They come to work every day. Like as a coach, we give them direction and these guys run with it. So we'll, we'll have an opportunity to have a special year again um, this year. All right. And, I'm going to go back, back step a bit here. When you were signed as assistant coach with the Sarnia Sting, you stayed there for two years. What really made you switch to Saginaw? Growth. Darian Hatcher was the owner and head coach of Sarnia, and, and I knew there was no chance like I'm, I'm going to be a head coach there. And I quickly realized that there was no way another team in the league was going to hire me to be their head coach because I didn't play in the NHL or the OHL. And nobody really knew me as a coach. So I knew very quickly the only chance I was going to get to be a head coach was go to an organization, be the hardest working guy in that organization, and prove my abilities as a coach. So when the job did open up, they would actually consider me as a serious candidate. And that's what happened in, in Saginaw. And it didn't happen overnight. My very first year there, I was with Spencer Carberry, who's now the head coach in the American Hockey League with Hershey, and he was an unreal coach. He left after one year to take an American League job. And I thought this was going to be my opportunity to be a head coach, and it wasn't. They brought in Troy Smith, and a year and a half later, they made another coaching change, and that's where I got my opportunity. So um, it didn't happen as fast as I thought it would after that first year when Carbs left, but it eventually did. And that, I knew that was the only way I was going to be a head coach was to go somewhere and just be extremely hardworking and, and wait for an opportunity. Yeah, and you're, and you're lucky a team like that – uh, what was I build from within because a lot of teams will just go for outside hires so that's very good to see yeah I was lucky I was fortunate for sure all right and moving on here I've heard some news that the OHL might not have hitting next season what are your thoughts on that could it really happen well you know what like it, I can't see it happening and I'm not privy to the information so I don't really know what the answer is but I don't see a scenario where our league plays games without contact. I just think that's unrealistic. So um, I can see something happening possibly with the fighting rule, which would make sense with the COVID and everything going on. I can see, you know, potentially having to wear a full face shield over a visor for at least a season, like those type of changes, but contact I, I don't anticipate, but again, like it's, it's at a league level. They haven't really notified us any of that stuff because they're still working through it with, with governments and, and uh, things of that nature. And, and um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out. I'm looking forward to what they say, but I would not anticipate no contact being one of them. All right. And as a coach, a lot of these newer coaches moving into the new era, there's not really much room for hitting in hockey anymore. Do you think, are you more of a coach who loves to watch, have your players hit or do you like, man, whatever you can hit when you want, but wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it as much. I'm more like, here's the thing with hitting like a lot of teams that go around hitting they run around hitting but a lot of players will just slip a pass through them as the player's going to hit them because they're sticks in the air and they're trying to get a big hit I'm more of a close quickly with a good stick on puck get through that guy's body or his hands so yeah I like hitting but we're more of a team that tries to separate player from puck so and we want to make sure that as we close defensively they're not making a play through us and continuing to keep possession. So we're trying to get in with a good angle, have a good stick and go through the player's hands to establish position on the puck. So that's more of our version of hitting. Cause we feel like we, if we do that, we're going to get more puck recoveries and then back to analytics, like the team that usually gets more puck recoveries has a higher chance of winning. So we've tied that into analytics over hitting. Like I don't think hitting wins games. I think puck recoveries and stripping and having good sticks and cutting guys hands win games. Yeah. Cause Hitting can lead to puck recoveries, but hitting is such a risky thing. And as you said, winning is puck recoveries equals winning sometimes. So, yeah, that makes sense, what you just said there. All right, and I want to talk about Cole Perfetti for a little bit. 
And do you think sure. where do you think he could go in the draft? Do you think he could go top three, maybe top five? Yeah, like I, I think he's one of the best players in the draft. I will not be shocked if he goes as high as number two. Like I just every team I know there's lists out there and every team has their own individual list, but this he's a he's just an absolute stud of a player and he's got things in in his game that people don't have in this draft. And if you value a player that plays like him. And if you value hockey IQ and playmaking and that kind of player, like the, he's the guy for you. So um, <clears throat> I still think he's going to go around the four slot, but you never know. Like he might go lower than that. He might go higher than that. I just, I, I believe he's going to be within the top 10 for sure. Where in the top 10, I, I have no idea. All right. And yeah, like last season in 61 games, he had 74 assists, which is a very high number. So would you classify him more as a sniper, a playmaker, or a two-way player on the ice? Yeah, he's a complete player. Like, he – I know he had a ton of assists, but this year there was a stretch at the start of the season. He hit, like, 12 straight posts, like, legit 12 straight posts. And you add half of those into his goal total, that puts him at 43 or whatever it is. Like, he can score as good as he can pass. He's just a dual threat. He's kind of like a Nikita Kucherov, like – if you give him a shot, he'll take it and probably score. If you try to take away the shot, he's going to hit the guy sitting on the backside. So he's really dual threat offensively, and he's really starting to round out his game without the puck and become that complete 200-foot player. Yeah, and as, as you say, like, do you think he's he's not quite there yet as a defensive game, or do you think his defensive game is, is okay for his age, or do you think he needs to work on that? No, I think his defensive game for his age is really good. The thing I do know, and I've learned this – about working with junior players, even guys in junior that are in our league that are like revealed as like these really good defensive players that go on and play in the NHL or play pro, they really don't learn the true value of defending until you get to pro. And not because our level doesn't do a good job of teaching it. I just think when you're around older players and in a pro environment and you learn the value of like not making a mistake without a puck because in pro it just ends up in your net more than our level. I think they really take off that part of their game once they start playing pro. So I always think in junior you can develop good habits and give them good concepts and you know good sticks and things like that. What I think um, really the most is is when they get to pro, they really learn the little intricacies of, of being a defensive player. So by pro you mean like AHL and NHL? Yeah, like I uh, – even even in the coast, like the East Coast kind of gets overlooked. That's unbelievable hockey too. But when you're playing at that level, mistakes end up in your net more often than they do in major juniors. So really quickly they learn that they can't make mistakes away from the puck because it will go in the net. Where at our level, you can show them on tape where they need to be in a better position or where the mistake is. And, yeah, we didn't get scored on. So maybe it doesn't create as much urgency for them to to – you know, kind of absorb that information. But when it starts going in your net at the pro level and you start losing ice time or not playing, that that's what catches our attention. All right. And do you think Cole Perfetti can be a face of an NHL franchise? Uh, yeah, I do. You know what? He Talent-wise, no question. And he's an unbelievable kid. Like he salt-of-the-earth human being type of guy that if, if – a kid that if you ever had a son, like you'd want your kid to be like Cole Perfetti, like he will do great things in whatever NHL city he goes to on the ice, but also off the ice with charities and communities. Cause he's passionate about helping people. So he is kind of like that Sidney Crosby. Like he's so Crosby's like obviously the best player in the world, but he's like an unbelievable ambassador. And that's what Cole Perfetti is. All right, and I just want to read this quote that he said about you. So, he coaches a pro style. He's really playing the new style of hockey and the way the game is going. He's pushing that. I think that's really what helped me. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's humbling. You know what? I His agent texted me after he did his NHL Zoom interviews and said, go back and watch what Cole said about you. And honestly, like, I called him after and just I, – I, it's humbling. Like, you, you never really know what a player truly thinks of you – you know, when you're coaching and how, you know, the impact you're having, but for him to say those words and, you know, he had a, he had a big kind of blurb on what he thought about how we do things myself as a coach. It, it was humbling. It reminds you that you're doing something right as a coach, but it, uh, you know, you just appreciate those things. Cause again, you're a human being like a feedback and positive feedback 
means a lot to people. It meant a lot to me to read that. And, and uh, I was very uh, thankful he said that about me. All right. And what do you, what would you say were his strengths and maybe one weakness? Well, his strengths for sure are his puck skills, his edges on his skates, his ability, like his hockey IQ, his instincts is, you know, he's kind of a, a step ahead of everybody else. Like, Obviously, he's got to get a little bit quicker. Like, he's a great skater, unreal edges, change of direction. He's a phenomenal skater. He's just got to get more power and, and uh, explosiveness to it. And he's really putting in the time in the gym to develop that, the core, the, you know, the butt muscles, the legs. Like, as that develops with maturity, he's going to get that spring in his step, and that'll come naturally over time. So I think he just needs to continue to do the work there and his, his, his pop to his stride will get a lot better, but he's a great skater that changes direction. So sometimes misunderstood in this draft class, because people say, Oh, he needs to work on a skating. I, I say he doesn't need to work on a skating. This is as much as just getting a little power to his legs. All right. Yeah. Cause me reading articles, sometimes I just read articles for fun about NHL draft prospects and everybody I've read says, yep, he's too slow. That's the reason he'll drop. The only reason he'll drop is because he's too slow. Anywhere and he needs to work on his skating. And if that's the only reason you drop, I think I think you did a very good job coaching him because he's got that hockey IQ. Hockey IQ is insane. Best in the draft class, possibly. So I'd just say good job for that. Yeah, and I would say, like, to those guys that have those comments and articles, when's the last time you watched an NHL player skate, like, 50 feet, untouched, in a straight line with the puck? Probably never. So to me, like, if he's not – the fastest guy over the course of 50 feet in a straight line, but other guys in the draft class are like, who gives a crap? Cause to me, not any, there's no player better at changing direction, cutting back, you know, all those things in the offensive zone that or even through the neutral zone going East West and just little things like that, that make him deadly. So I just think like it speed is almost overrated to me in, in that kind of a sense. Yeah, because the only reason speed ever comes in is the NHL All-Star game. That's really the only time I've ever seen speed be a factor. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, you look at, obviously, McDavid always wins the race, but, you know, and he's another guy who's blessed with the speed and the change of direction, but I'm with you there. Like, it, I'd take a smart player that can do what Cole does over a guy that skates fast in a straight line. Yeah, and who would you compare him to at the NHL level currently? I know he's a one-of-a-kind player, but who would you compare him to? Yeah, to me, he's Nikita Kucherov. Like, have you ever seen clips of Kucherov when he played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League? Like, he looks just like Cole Perfetti. And Kuch wasn't a great skater back then or, like, tabbed as a great skater back then, but he did everything that Cole does with change of direction and edges and passing and shooting and all these things that Fetz did. Nikita Kucherov did in Major Junior like Cole Perfetti, and then he obviously projected out to be an unbelievable player. So, to me, he's that caliber, that type of a player. And as he like, and again, Kucherov early in his NHL career wasn't this unbelievable All Star. He was a really good player. And then as he got stronger and more mature and played in the league a little bit, he started to dominate. And it's just like Cole Perfetti. Yeah, because Kucherov kind of came out of nowhere. Like a couple years ago, you wouldn't have known who Nikita Kucherov was unless you were in Tampa Bay and you went to every Tampa Bay game. That's really the only reason you knew him. He kind of exactly. emerged. Which, if Cole Perfetti already has the draft type that he has right now, and he can emerge like that. He can. He could be a number one player on any NHL team. And that's. And that's. I agree with you. And that's where I, for myself, and I know I'm his coach, and I'm kind of biased, but that's where I project him out as. That's where I see him doing. And he's a special player, man. I'm gonna look back in this draft ten years from now and be like, man, he, you know, he went fifth overall. He should have went, you know, one, two, three type thing. So yeah. And do you? Here's a question about coaching again. Do you see yourself in the future ever being on an NHL staff, or is that not something you really think about? You know what? I don't think about it. Like everyone obviously dreams about it, but my again, like my dream when I started this, and it's the dead honest truth, was to be an OHL head coach. And I never advanced or thought about anything more than that. I never thought I'd be really good enough to do more than that because I never played NHL, and it seemed like every guy coaching in the NHL was an NHL player. Now. Obviously, like you, you readjust your sights, but my I got great advice from Jeff Tuey, who used to be the GM in Peterborough forever, and he's a legend in hockey and he's working in the NHL. He told me a long, long time ago when I started coaching, just focus on the level you're at and do great at the level you're at, and, and jobs at the next level will find you. So I've never really applied at all for 
any pro job or inquired about a pro job. I just, I'm living my dream right now and I'm trying to do the best I can to my abilities to make Saginaw spirit an OHL champion and a perennial um, threat. So, yeah. And that's interesting because you're from Canada and Saginaw is one of the rare U S teams. And have you kind of settled into Saginaw? It's kind of like your second hometown almost. It is. You know what? We had our first daughter was born in Saginaw and, we call that home. My my wife and my family, we call that home now. We've been there for four years. We're about to go through our fifth year this year. And hopefully, you know, I get a long contract and get to, to stay there a bunch more years. But it's a great community, unbelievable people. We really, really enjoy our time, time there. And we love it there. We're, we're thinking about buying a house and, and setting some roots there. So it's a great spot. So if you haven't bought a house yet, do you just rent like an apartment then while you're out there or does some family stay in York? Yeah, we got a three bedroom kind of condo. So um, it's a great little spot. Like the U.S. is a little bit different than Canada with with like uh, these little condo setups. Like they're they're more common in the U.S. So it's got obviously there's a pool there and a playground for the kids and. So it's a nice, nice, nice building. And actually, funny enough, like our equipment manager, our athletic therapist, and my other assistant coach all live in the same complex because it's just such a cool little spot. That's that's pretty interesting. So on the evenings, you can just get together and you can call it like a team meeting, I guess. Yeah, we do. We get together some nights, play poker, or we, you know, randomly I'll, I'll have like taco night at my house and we'll kind of just get together and hang out a little bit outside the rink and we have a young staff like the the oldest guy on our staff might be 40 everybody else is kind of 38 37 so we're all in around the same age which makes it fun because we're all kind of at the same stage of life so we we hang out quite a bit as, as friends outside the rink all right and are you one of those coaches who can sit there for like 10 hours on end and just think of lines and strategies or are you not one of those kind of coaches yeah, I have a hard time turning it off. Like it's, uh, it's you never you never stop. Like it, you never stop thinking about it. It's an obsession. Like it's a passion, but it's an obsession. And it's, it's. I mean, I could like I I know my very first year as head coach there, I was a mid season replacement, and at the trade deadline we added Owen Tippett and Ryan McLeod, and I woke up and it was like two thirty three o'clock in the morning. I text our general manager a bunch of lines. And he wrote back like 15 seconds later and I was like, are you awake? He's like, I can't sleep. I'm like, I'm going to the rink right now. So we actually went into the rink at like three 30 and we're going through line combos and all these different things. So yeah, you never turn it off because it's a labor of love. Like, especially as a head coach, it's got your name on that kind of team. And, and, uh, I don't know, it's fun, man. Like it's such a passion that you just, it's impossible to turn off. And do you do a lot with penalty kill and power player? Do you kind of delegate that to your other staff? Yeah, you delegate that. I try to let our assistant coaches, Jared Nightingale and Jesse Messier, each have one of those systems. And to me, like you're also you're coaching coaches too. You're trying to make these guys head coaches in the future, whether it's in Saginaw or in a different team in our league. So I know as an assistant coach, when I got to run a special team, it at least gives you some ownership and the ability to you know, if you're presenting to your special team and you're doing the video and you're meeting with players, you're working on your coaching skills and you're getting to run that portion of practice related to your system. Like you're still getting board time and different stuff. So yeah, we delegate, we obviously always work together, but I like those guys to take complete ownership of what, you know, their responsibilities are so they can do the best to their abilities. All right. And I'm assuming you guys have a goalie coach in Saginaw. Do you ever like, uh, how do I say this? Does a goalie coach ever get mad that you just take up a lot of practice time, or do you guys not have a lot of on on ice practices? Our age, our uh, goalie coach is AJ Walchuk, like unbelievable. He's worked with Vasilevsky in the past, like he's a young guy that has worked with some really good goalies, and we're a bit different. In Saginaw, every single day, he gets forty five minutes with his goalies before we go out for practice, so he actually gets a full goalie session to do whatever he wants with, whether he wants shooters or no shooters, or he wants to do video, he gets 45 minutes a day to go with our goalies. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when I'm talking about goalie starts and what we should do with rotation, I usually give him the, the, the opportunity to tell me what he would do. And I usually go with his suggestion on, on how to play the goalies and in which games, because he's so dialed on that position that I trust him and he does a great job that he, he kind of leads that area.
Yeah, because you kind of find the hot goalie in practice, and and you're like, okay, this goalie's been doing very well in practice, and the goalie coach says, yeah, yeah, let's start this guy. And I don't know, I just feel like that's kind of smart way to play that. With we try to run it like a little bit like an NFL staff. Like you have, obviously, you have all these offensive and defensive coordinators and guys doing their job. Like if if we have to make a decision in an area, you know, so if, for an example with goalies, like if the goalie coach is the head of that area he should have a lot of input. Like obviously as a head coach, you have final say, but you got to trust the people that you've hired to do their job. And again, I've watched AJ work now for four, for three years and he's unbelievable with goalies. So he literally tells me what he wants and we go with that. All right. And in Sarnia, you were the assistant coach. So what, what kind of tasks did you really have in there? Sarnia, I was in charge of my very first year. I was running the forwards and I was in charge of the penalty kill. And then in my second year, I was in charge of the penalty kill and I ran the defense. So um, always been a PK guy kind of as an assistant coach. Enjoyed it, love it. Um, and that was my job. And then as the D coach, the same thing I tell Nightingale, like he he runs the D, he's kind of the head coach of the D, like their development program, their video, their one-on-one meetings, he uh, oversees all that. So, um, you know, it was kind of like that in Sarnia for me as well. So I kind of took that experience and have brought it with me. So I know a lot of players have a pregame meal and are so, kind of superstitious. I'm just wondering, do you have a pregame meal when you're coaching? Uh, you know what? I do. I go – I don't really eat close to game time. Like I get uh, too wound up. So during the day, kind of midday after the players leave the rink from the morning skate, I go to a place called the Bringer Inn in Saginaw. And it's uh, like a diner. It's a great breakfast spot. And I sit at the same table, eat the same meal, omelet, great, and a couple cups of coffee and just relax. And then I head back to the rink and kind of spend the day there. I'm not a guy that goes home on game day or takes a nap. I just can't. I like being in the rink. Sometimes I, you know, if it's a Saturday, I'm watching some NCAA football and just kind of going through video clips and kind of watching the game at the same time. And maybe ride the bike or, or go for a walk around the arena and the concourse or sometimes just sit in the rink and stare at the, uh, the sheet ice and just enjoy being in the rink. So that's kind of my routine. All right. You seem super, super, super superstitious. Okay. That was kind of hard to say. Cause like a lot of these past guests that I've had on the podcast that play like NCAA hockey, they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually not very superstitious and you're more superstitious than anyone I've ever seen as a player. And I think that's pretty cool. I'm a routine guy. I feel like if I keep my routine on a game day, it's comforting to me. Like I know what my day looks like. I know what I'm going to do almost every game day and there's no surprises. And I enjoy that. It kind of just makes things feel the same where, you know, you can deal with your day to day. So I, uh, but I am superstitious. I, I watch warm up at seven thirteen of warm up. I leave, I won't watch anymore. Like I got little things like that, that, uh, I've always done so. Yeah, maybe I'm a little superstitious. And at warmups, do coaches sit on the bench warmups? I haven't really watched any warmups. Yeah, like yeah, a lot of times we'll be down on the bench, you know, kind of watching it. Saginaw is a little different. I stand up, kind of in the concourse right above the bench, but uh, for the most part, we're down on the bench, kind of watching warm up. You just get a feel of the game. Like to me, I my big thing, and I tell my staff all the time when I walk on the bench, I don't want to talk to anybody during warm up. That. I just take the time to go through my lines, what we want for matchups, you know, any little adjustments that we've made, just reminders. I watch the other team warm up. Like I just kind of, it's my last checkpoint before a game to make sure everything I want to say and or have prepared is done. So I, I kind of go on warm up. I'm quiet. I wait to the seven thirteen mark and then I'm gone. And, you say, and I come back at game time. All right. And do you watch a lot of your opposing team's clips? Like maybe not on game day, but the day before game day, or are you not really like that? Yeah, I like, I like watching other teams. Like I watch them for tendencies. You watch certain players for tendencies, especially you know what are they doing on faceoffs? Do they have set plays? Um, you know what have they? You know if you go back and watch their last ten or fifteen goals against, is there a trend in their game right now that that's hurting them? Are they giving up? You know are they bad in? you know, off a neutral zone forecheck? Are they breaking down if you go low high with a puck? Like, how are goals going in and why? And can we take any of that information and give it to our players? So, and I also like to watch what other teams are doing, like just to steal any ideas that you might see on tape. All right. And does your family ever get super irritated with you? Like, because you're just like, they want you to spend the day with them and you're just sitting there doing your coaching stuff. 
Has that ever happened? Yeah, you know what? My wife's like a superhero. She, I'm gone. Like during the season, you know, we got one day off a week typically. So most of the time I'm in the rink at 530. I don't come home till six at night. You know, by the time you have dinner and put the kids to bed, it's like you're going back to bed because you got to, or you're working on something hockey related because you got to get up early in the morning. So she, uh, she, but she knows like during the summer we're off, right? So we have a different lifestyle during the year, but once the summer comes, I'm around all day, every day. So I'm not really annoyed because on our day off, we always make it a family day. We try to, I try to do no hockey. I might watch one period from our last game before I go to bed. But for the most part, that entire day, we're just dedicated to doing stuff with our kids and our family and kind of getting away from it for at least, you know, a few hours. So, All right. And about the OHL, uh, there was the break in summer. And now when are they starting up? Because I haven't heard much news about that. So unless something changes now, we'll open up our training camps on November 15th and we'll play our first regular season game on December 1st. All right. So it's getting into there pretty quick. And it, will it be a shortened season or do you think there should be a compressed schedule? Well, we're going to play – you usually play 68 games. I think we're scheduled to play 64 or 62. So I think we lose like four or six games. But um, condensed in the sense that we usually typically only play – weekend games we might have the odd uh we'll have more weekday games now but with school being moved online for our players and them not having to go into high school it uh they're able to do that because it's not like they have to spend the day in in class so with with guys doing stuff via online there's a little bit more flexibility so yeah it'll be condensed in the sense that we're playing more weekday games but we're only losing like six games from our schedule all right that's actually not much of a loss as i thought it would be and you said that they think they you think they might have to do full shield. Is there any other COVID regulations you think might come into play? Well, there's going to be a whack of stuff like from travel to dressing room stuff. Like there's going to be a ton of stuff, and and um, you know, like that. Or again, we'll have a training staff that has to implement everything. But it's a new normal for now until we find a solution to this this virus. Like not everyone's going to love a full face shield. We're not all going to like when we go to the rink and we have to get our temperature before we leave for the rink, when we get to the rink, all those type of things, it's just part of life now. So if we want to play hockey, it's what we have to do. Uh, there's going to be a ton of, you know, little things that the public might not see with, with uh, stuff at billet homes or cleanliness in the room or desanitization or whatever it is. So um, all that stuff hasn't been fully given to us, but we do know there's going to be a lot more than normal. All right, and you said about, like, there might be bubble hockey. Is that a possibility, you think? Like, only play the U.S. teams? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know. I can see a scenario where we start with just the American teams for, like, a six-week period, and then we, you know, hopefully the borders relax. Maybe, maybe not. All those things are league. The reason why they haven't given a schedule yet is they're still trying to work through all that, and I don't really have much information. Like, they – haven't divulged much information because they are still trying to work on it at their level. So, um, and it's about safety. Like we've got to work with governments and we've got to make sure whatever decision they just, they do makes sense for everybody. So um, I have no idea what our season is going to look like right now. I just, I know that they've told us to plan for November 15th camp, December 1st, regular season games. So, so with camps, do you do most of the drill work and stuff like that? Or does that get delegated around? Yeah, you know what, we kind of, there's a lot of split work, like it's, there's stuff all handle, there's stuff our assistants handle, like, um, there's a lot of meetings, you're trying to you get a whole tech pack rolled out and get players built up with skills, and, you know, there's tons of stuff going on, so there's a lot of delegation, but we kind of, it's not even so much delegation, we're just, we look at ourselves as a staff, and we're all equal in a sense, and we're all, you know, have things to do to be successful, so we'll sit together and plan, and we have been planning you know, all of our camp and different things. So we're currently working on a bunch of stuff right now, which uh, every guy's got their own little area to look after. All right. So you, you delegate a lot. You don't really take much of the much of the stuff. You do a lot of delegation? Well, yeah, you have to, right? Like it's too much for one guy to do. Um, you need to, you know, we've been lucky enough. We've been able to hire the guys that we've wanted to hire. So we've got people we trust and good hockey coaches and good hockey minds around us. So, um, 
if you didn't delegate in this job, I don't think you'd last long because it's just way too much to do for one person. Yeah, either you'd go crazy or you'd get fired. Like, that's really the only two outcomes I could see out of that. Yeah, you'd fall behind if you did it all by yourself and you would go a little crazy. But again, like you, you gotta, it's all about trust. Like you, you have to trust the people you work with to do the, to do a job. And, you know, I've watched these guys work now for over a year. We have a hardworking staff, so I have no issues with what they're doing. All right. So last question before I let you go, do you think that politics should be in sports or do you think that should be kept out of sports? Like, no, like for example, just to make it a little bit easier on you here, like kneeling for the national anthem. I feel like that's very bold. But if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. No, I, you know what? Like, I like that, uh, you know, those type of things. Like, it's such a touchy subject, but, man, you have to – there's a lot of things wrong with our world today. Like, there is. And there, you know, racism and, and hatred and, and a bunch of things that need to change. And I think athletes have a great platform – to change and to influence people. So I don't have an issue with it because, you know, I think the world needs, we need to change. There's a lot of things that need to change. Obviously hockey culture hasn't maybe been the greatest in the past. And I think there's room for improvement. And I think there's been a massive light kind of shined on our sport and our culture. And it's as a leader in hockey and a leader of a team, I want to see things change, especially for organization. I want to make sure we're part of the solution not part of the problem. So I don't have an issue with it if people are expressing themselves in the, in a right way because our world needs fixing. And I think athletes can have a huge positive impact on that. All right. So thanks for doing the interview. That was a very good answer. I, I love to hear that. And I just hope you have a great year with Saginaw this season. I appreciate it. And, and uh, thanks for reaching out. I think it's cool. Like you said you were 15 and you're, and you're uh, trying to get into the, you know, podcast broadcast uh, future. And I think it's uh, pretty cool that you reached out. And I think you did a great job yourself here tonight with the questions and leading the conversation. So thanks for having me. All right. Well, have a good one. All right, man. You too. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please share with a friend. It helps the podcast out so much. And happy Canadian Thanksgiving for all you Canadians who are listening. Have a great day. And if you're listening on Thanksgiving, why are you listening? You should be spending time with your family. Just kidding. I love that you're listening. And have a great week. We'll see you next Monday on October the 19th for episode 27. Have a great week.